Hello and welcome to Babe Cave. I am Amanda Pollock and this is the rebuilding episode. So a few episodes ago at the end of last year, I did a thing about home and talking about the fires in the North Bay in Northern California and kind of what that devastation had done to the area and myself just thinking about the places that I grew up how they may or may not be there. And, you know, kind of the survivor's guilt that was happening, being so far removed and just seeing all of my friends and family go through the devastation that I don't think any of us ever thought was imaginable. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the fires in the North Bay, it was on, it started on Sunday, October 8th, and I'm pulling some of these stats from Cal Fire. And in the month of October, Cal Fire responded to over like 250 new wildfires, and there were 21 major uh, wildfires, and they burned over 245,000 acres. There were 11,000 firefighters who were fighting all of these blazes. Uh, 100,000 people had to evacuate. It destroyed and like over 8,000 structures, and unfortunately took the lives of 43 people. And this is a story that hasn't been covered, I think, to the degree that some other natural disasters have been like covered. Um, they're all absolutely terrible, but I feel like something has happened with the West and it kind of gets forgotten about a bit, or people just think that wildfires happen all the time and it's no big deal. So I wanted to have this episode, the rebuilding episode, and I thought that the only person who would really be able to step in and give a voice to the people in the North Bay who were affected um, was my friend Amanda Green. And uh, Amanda, thank you so much for coming on the show and chatting about this with me. Oh, absolutely. So Amanda, um, and we talked about this a little bit before I started, but uh, right when the fires started, it was probably, it was early morning, um, October 9th. And I had some kind of weird feeling and I woke up and I like got on Facebook and yours was one of the first posts that I saw. And you live in Santa Rosa and you had just posted that you had evacuated and I didn't know what was happening, but like you were the first person who really said anything. And, um, I don't know if you want to kind of want to talk about what that was like. Sure. So um, that night on the 8th, on Sunday, we had gone and gotten our pumpkins from the pumpkin patch and um, come home. And it was just kind of a, a lazy evening and went to bed pretty early with, you know, having a newborn. Anytime I can go to bed before 11 o'clock, it's a good <laughs> night. And, um, you know, I just to give you a little bit about the street that I live on. We call it the walk because of our street name and we're 15 houses with 24 children between us and we are a very very tight-knit street and we're kind of all up in each other's business in a good way you know um which mm -hmm. I totally I appreciated before the fires but I appreciate even more after the fires and at about 11 o'clock, my neighbor started texting me going, hey, if you're sleeping with your windows open, because, you know, it, we have a two-story house, it's October, it's warm, we sleep with our windows open, shut your windows because there's some fires, you know, off 
um, over in this part of town that's kind of just wildfire area anyway. Mm-hmm. And she said, it's really smoky over here. So shut your windows. So I said, okay. Um, I love my neighbors. But then she kept texting me over and over and over. And I turned my phone on silent because I was trying to sleep. And normally I sleep with my phone on because Avery's baby monitor is attached to my phone. So I leave it on, but I was just kind of out of it and I turned it on silent. And anyway, um, that was about 11 and close to two o'clock in the morning, my, um, my trash can lid started opening and closing, opening, closing, slamming, slamming. And I thought, oh my God, is that the wind? And it woke me up because it's right underneath our bedroom window. And I, when that woke me up, I heard my phone buzz and I thought, what is, who is texting me at this time in the morning? So I grabbed my phone and it was my coworker's wife who they had just had a baby the week before. And she was Facebook messaging me, which was the only alert that I had on at that time. And she said, are you going to evacuate? And I was like, what is, what is going on? So then I realized I have like a thousand text messages from neighbors, from my mother who lives, you know, two hours away from me going, you better answer your phone or I'm going to start calling you. Why haven't I heard from you? What is going on? And obviously all these people, you know, knew they'd been watching Facebook and seeing updates and I just had been asleep. So I jump up and I went to look out my um, two-story window and I looked out and I saw the streetlight and it looked like fog, but it was just this swirling, creepy fog around the streetlights. And I thought, oh my God, what is going on? So I I come back to my phone and my neighbor who had texted me about the smoke said, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave? We're thinking about leaving. And I thought, what are all these people so upset about? So I go to the downstairs level of my house to get my cat mm-hmm. carriers because I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to have to evacuate, what's going to take me the longest is getting my two cats out from under my bed and into cat carriers. So as soon as I walked mm-hmm. in the downstairs part of my house, my downstairs was smoky. I thought, well, what the heck? My upstairs isn't smoky. Isn't smoke supposed to mm-hmm. rise? And, you know, why aren't fire alarms going off? And, you know, since then, that's a conversation that a lot of people have had about the fire and it's been well, fire alarms are set off by heat, not smoke. And that's why a lot of fire alarms didn't go off. So I go out in my garage to get the cat carriers and it is just completely full of smoke. And so now I'm starting to panic a little bit. And I come back in and I grab my phone. And I start getting these Nixel alerts, which are that, you know, you text your um, zip code to 888-777 and you start getting alerts with any police activity and, and whatever. And I've had that. I have it for Fairfield from when I still live there and I have it for Sonoma County and I've had it for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. And I start to see where the fires are at and I'm like, Oh, well that's, you know, it's closer than I thought, but it's on the other side of the freeway. So it's not probably going to get to me, but I still want to be, you know, proactive and get the cats out. And I, I wake up my husband, Bob, and I tell him what's going on. And And he's laying on the edge of the bed going, you're crazy. It's not going to get to us. There's no way I'm going, okay, but I'm still, you know, I'm me. So I'm I'm still going to start moving along as if what happens if we have to evacuate. And then I got the Nixle alert that it had jumped the freeway and was at the, um, on Hopper, which is a cross street very close to us. And I thought, oh no, Bob, get up. It jumped the freeway. You know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to wait around to find out. And so 
he's still humming and hawing and you know, you're, you know, you're overreacting and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't care. I'll leave you here. I'm going to get my kids, my cats and I'm gone. And so I had, you know, after the fact, you start hearing what people evacuate with and it's so smart, you know, like your social security card, your birth certificates, you know, have a plan of action. I didn't have any of that. I had my wedding rings, my kids, my, you know, cats, their specialty food, formula for the baby, diapers and bottles, and kind of just threw it all in a bag and then got a text message that said it was at the corner of Coffee and Hopper because I live in Coffee Park, which I'm sure you heard, you know, Coffee Park a thousand times. It's pretty much the mm-hmm. neighborhood that was destroyed. And so I said, we're gone. Let's go. I said, I'm, I'll wake the kids up last because I don't want anybody to be in a panic. And I went outside to load the cats in the car and the wind was whipping at like, I heard it got up to 80 miles an hour and I'm not shocked because it almost ripped the doors off my car. Oh my gosh. I put the the cats in the back hatch and I thought, am I going to even be able to get this hatch closed? Like it was just, the wind was so bad. And I, um, I had a suitcase on the floor of my living room because we had just gotten back from Disneyland. I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll pack some stuff. But after I went out to load the cats, I just, I said, there's no time. I walked out and the sky on the other side of the railroad tracks was glowing red. Like I can't even describe to you, but there are pictures. And I told Bob, I said, I'm not going to wait for a firefighter to come knocking on my door telling me to leave. I'm leaving. And so we got in the car. We woke the kids up. You know, we're, we were really calm. We said, we're going to go to Mimi's house and just get in the car and when Brady walked outside and he saw that sky he initially started to panic but then he flipped into big brother mode you know he's six years old and he's like it's okay sissy we're gonna leave there's a fire but we're gonna be okay we're gonna go to Mimi's house and you know it just kind of broke my heart to watch him have to go through that um and again, you're probably going to hear that chime several times, but that's my ring doorbell, <laughs> and I will get to why we have that. <laughs> um, so I apologize for that. But anyway, so we get in the car, and as we're leaving, neighbors are starting to turn on sprinklers, and they're, we're all out kind of making eye contact with each other, going, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? Well, I don't know. Should we leave? And and again, I we were kind of one of the early ones to get out. We were out by 209 in the morning and we got to, um, we went to, let's see, it doesn't make any sense to tell you that part, but we basically drove away from the red glowing sky is what Mm -hmm. we did. And we just kept driving. And had we left about 10 minutes later, we would have been stuck in gridlock in our neighborhood. Um, the, the fire moved so fast that people were trying to flee and wake each other up because there was no evacuation going on, like formal evacuation. Mm -hmm. It was kind of just knocking on each other's doors, telling each other to leave, honking your horns. Um, And it became pretty chaotic right after we left. And so we got on the freeway and we, Bob said, you know, what way should we go? And I said, well, I'm not going to get stuck on these country roads, which is the way that we usually go to Fairfield through Petaluma, I said, we just need to stay on 101 and go towards San Francisco. So we did that. We cut over, got on 80 and drove all the way to Dixon and, you know, watching Facebook updates and live coverage and all these things the whole way. It was just 
pretty surreal to start watching things in our neighborhood go up in flames, like, you know, like the McDonald's and the Arby's and the gas station Mm -hmm. and, and kind of watching it all go up and glued to our phones, just glued to what was happening, you know, trying to see, is it going to hit our house? And so our neighbor on the corner has um, a ring doorbell, which since then most of us have gotten them. And they um, watched, they got footage of the fire coming up the train tracks, which the train tracks is basically right outside our street. It's on our street. Mm -hmm. And uh, we could see the fire getting closer and closer and closer. And then right as it got to basically our back fences, we all lost power. And so we thought, well, we lost power because we lost our house. You know, we were just certain that Mm -hmm. we lost our house. And um, for about three hours, we were pretty sure that our house was gone. And a neighbor of ours came back just to see what was going on and noticed that my very next door neighbor had stayed behind with his girlfriend and they tied hoses together and turned on all our sprinklers and were fighting every ember that came over those tracks and set our fences on fire, you know, putting out our bushes that were on fire, um, just running up and down, saving our street basically. And so he put out the word on our Facebook page for our street and two other um, homeowners that were close by came home and they all stood there and, and basically fought the fires with hoses from our houses um, for hours. And so oh my goodness. it was just like the, the feeling of knowing that you're ha- like, we were sure our house was gone. And then seeing the picture that was still standing, I can't even begin to describe what that felt like. Um, you know, we're the first row of houses that are standing. And so when you talk about survivor's guilt, like you even had it thousands of miles away, mm-hmm. we definitely have it, you know, living here and seeing the devastation every day. Speaking of devastation, that's a word that my six-year-old uses. And it's like, mm-hmm. it breaks my heart to hear him say that, like we're driving through the devastation. That's what it is. And, you know, the the months after that, the days after that, the weeks after that have just been, it's been life-changing. I mean... We got to come home to our house just for a couple hours, two days after. So, well, actually it was Tuesday, so it was the 10th and, you know, coming in and they told us real quick, you know, just take a quick video of your contents because the fires aren't over. And so you don't know if you're going to, if the fire is going to come back the backside. And it kind of felt like that movie Final Destination where Mm. you just barely miss it. So, you know, it's coming back for you. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, I was kind of frozen in my house trying to pack um, just what I thought would be necessities and everything just was reeking of smoke. And since then, everything has been cleaned, but you still have days where like yesterday it got a little warm and my carpet started to smell again. And then that Mm. smell comes back and you start to think about, you know, the evacuation and everything that has happened. And it's like a trigger. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, my baby has a sound machine and it's set on rain. And when I rock her in the rocking chair, sometimes I'm, if she wakes up two o'clock in the morning, I'm kind of delirious. I'll be sitting there and that sound sounds like burning wood Mm. and, and it's, it's a trigger. And so it's like these things that you don't expect to happen. And, you know, I have a master's degree in counseling. I totally get what PTSD is, you know? 
mm-hmm. and I know why it's happening and things like that, but it's stuff that you don't realize that you're going to have for a long time. There'll be these triggers forever, I'm sure. And so, you know, long story short, we ended up being able to come back to our house about seven days after the fire and we didn't have, um, we had power, but we didn't have gas. And so when gas got turned on in our, in the neighborhood, we were, we had to be home. So we were tracking down PG&E people and, you know, they're coming door to door and we're texting our neighbors, get home, hurry or text me your garage code so I can let them in. And um, cheering, you know, when they turned on gas and things that you don't, that you just take for granted, being able to take mm-hmm. a hot shower, you know, being able to cook your food, being able to do laundry. It's like we were, it was like winning the lottery every time we got something back like that. And even now our furnace went out in the middle of all of this and I'm sitting here freezing, but I'm thankful that I have a home to be freezing in. You know, it's like, I don't want to complain about that kind of stuff. And so it's definitely been crazy and something that's going to continue forever because even though we didn't lose our home, we have spoke damage, we have soot, you know, in our, in our house and in our attics and, and we can't get any contractors to come work because they're busy rebuilding, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's, it's long and drawn out and in pieces and you know it's been three months almost and we have painters starting tomorrow and again I'm not complaining you know I'm thankful that I have a home but it's not like you said people have kind of forgot that it happened um Mm -hmm. but we won't forget we living in a standing home you know we have these Facebook groups for coffee park firestorm Mm -hmm. you know survivors coffee park standing homes um, you kind of just band together and, and become a community and you want to complain about certain things, but you don't, but you can complain to each other cause you get it. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's a new, it's our new normal. We started calling it that, you know, right after the fires is this is our new normal and something that we never would have imagined. Like when we went to the pumpkin patch that night, you know, and just really enjoyed our time as a family at this beautiful pumpkin mm-hmm. patch that this would be our new reality afterwards. And it's just, it's hard, but yeah, they, they're rebuilding and they're supposed to be done with coffee park with the clearing of the locks and things like that by January 20th, which is amazing. And it's mm-hmm. like so cool to see them getting this done and getting the work done and watching the families come out. And, and I mean, I could go on and on, but it's just, it's interesting. Yeah. How long was it before you could go home, even for just that short amount of time? So the National Guard was set up at the train tracks and basically at the end of our street. And they would only let us in if we had IDs proving that we were supposed to be here because there were so many looters. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. disgusting. It was disgusting. And we had people perched on each corner of our little horseshoe street um, you know, protecting our street. And mm-hmm. when they went to bed, of course, a looter came in and stole a bike from one of my neighbor's houses. And he, what, he has a bunch of bicycles at his house because he fixes broken bicycles and then donates them to kids. Mm-hmm. And so they took one of the broken bicycles, got it to basically our other neighbor's house, realized it was broken and ditched it 
in between their two cars. And so now they didn't get anything really of value to anybody, but just the feeling of like, we're doing all we can to prevent the looters and you still get in and you still just feel so violated, Mm -hmm. you know, like how dare you come on to our street? And I mean, they're the lowest of the low, lowest of the low that they're going to go sift through people's property to try to find rubble that, you know, might make them some money. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. But anyway, so we were able to come in just for a couple hours on Tuesday and then, um, we got a call on Thursday that the fires and the wind were blowing from the backside and that we needed to come home and start watering down our roofs again and turn on our sprinklers on our lawns and just basically start wetting down the house to protect it from the embers. So we were back up here again on Thursday doing that, thinking, oh, great, you know, we're going to lose our house again. We got through it. Now we're going to lose it. And like I said, it was kind of like final destination. But um, and then by Sunday, we were home. We got to come home. And they kept the train tracks, um, like they kept the National Guard at the end of our street until November 1st, I think is when they left. And they they put it out in the paper and they said, okay, if you live here, come to your property. This is the last chance you're going to get without them opening up to the public. And when they opened it up to the public, that's when we got all these, you know, it was almost like a tourist attraction. These looky-loos. There were a couple tour buses that I don't know if they just got lost and they started driving through but they were driving through and they were like wine country tours but I had heard rumors that they were giving people tours of the fire you know zone but then when I saw it I just wanted to like call them and be like what are you doing this is not a tourist attraction full buses of people just driving through oh my gosh yeah that's Mm-mm. Like who does that? You know, who wants to go on that tour? But we had people at the end of our street, like parking, standing on top of their cars, taking pictures. Um, it's just like the looky loos were crazy. I get the, I get the curiosity behind it, mm-hmm. but you know, it's just like it's people's homes, it's their memories, it's their life. You're here taking pictures and selfies, and really. I know. I think that's probably one of the most disappointing things. Like, um, I saw a lot of people posting, uh, drone footage that someone had taken and I have serious problems with drone footage, especially in emergency situations, because that means that emergency crews cannot fly. And it, yeah, it, it makes me so angry, but you know, people, they wanted to see this drone footage of the devastation. And it's like, there are so many other ways to interact or, you know, get information and it makes you really sad. But, you know, like, um, I remember you had posted, you know, about looters and whatnot. And, you know, there were police departments, you know, like my brothers who were sent out to Santa Rosa. I mean, that was one of the things too, like, all of the emergency crews of the North Bay were just like sharing resources and just trying to make sure that those things didn't happen. Um, You know, but it's still, it's, it's so, it's so discouraging too, because, you know, and in the, with the hurricanes that had happened, you know, earlier this summer, like that was one of the things, you know, there were a lot of looters. I wouldn't think that a fire would bring out looters. And so then I think that also kind of, 
reduces some kind of faith that you might have in yeah. people, you know, like, I mean, it's just, um, and something that you said earlier, you were talking, um, about the door chimes and oh, yeah. how, how your neighbor had it. And then now all of you have it. And so what happened with that? So then we got really nervous with the looters and everything, obviously. And by the way, but they caught carfuls of them, carfuls of them all the time. And the cops mm. would tell us about it. And they weren't locals. A lot of them were from Vallejo, you know, that area. And so it's it, it made me feel a little bit better that it wasn't like the locals preying upon the locals. But, yeah. um, you know, it, it just kind of like we had this sense of security in our little nest, in our little walk. And it was really violated when that kind of stuff happened. And, um, you know, with what we were just glued to those ring doorbell updates with the pictures of the fire and, and seeing what was happening. And, and, you know, Costco had a sale and we shared it with each other and a bunch of us went out and got them. And now we can, I don't know. It just, it was kind of like we were grasping for control of anything we could possibly control because we yeah. realized how out of control we were, um, especially with had had we lost our homes and and so the ring doorbells I think gave us kind of a sense of control back a little bit of security mm -hmm. that we lost and um you know I like it I mean when I get a package delivered I can say hey neighbor you're home today I had this delivered can you go pick it up off my porch and put it in your garage and that's kind of the street that we have anyway where if a neighbor was home they'd say hey you got a package delivered you want me to pick it up so I don't know. It's just, it made sense for us to have them. And so kind of like every, I'd say about five of the 15 houses have the ring doorbells. And then one of them has cameras anyway. And it's, mm. it's not like where we, where you and I grew up, you know, it's not that in the, um, where yeah. we used to work. It's not that city. So it's not <laughs> as bad as it was where I used to live, but, um, you know, again, it's just like, we were grasping for control of anything that we could control and in a area where we felt so out of control that it was just something that we all kind of went out and purchased, but. Um. Yeah. And, and you've mentioned too, and I think that one of the things um, that people don't really understand is how fire lines kind of work and how, you know, with, and you mentioned this earlier and I, you know, hope that people understand like the gravity of wind, you know, the, the thing that was crazy, fires do not jump over freeways. They just, right. that's one of the things that it normally doesn't happen. And so with this wind and all of this stuff, you know, the fires were doing things that they normally don't do. And I'm, I have quotations as I'm doing that, but it's like, they're not supposed to do certain things. And so, you know, there were, you know, some houses that were within inches of, you know, devastation. And, you know, then you have no idea what's going to happen because the wind is moving so quickly. And um, and you had talked about a little bit before we started uh, about the the train and yeah. and how you think that that was a deciding factor. And well, I think that it acted as a, a fire break. And, you know, I say mm -hmm. that and then I think, well, it jumped a six lane freeway. So why would it stop at a train track? But it really did. Um, it gave our neighbor who stayed back a chance to 
not deal with a burning structure right up against our structures, but rather mm. just deal with embers that came over and caught bushes on fire and fences on fire and things like that. And so um, this is the second fire with the fire tracks or the train tracks involved in the last, I think, five years. Um, there was a brush fire before that. And, you know, that brush fire just burned the brush on the tracks. It didn't create its own wind, like you said, and become mm-hmm. this crazy devastation. And, and if you could see where the fire came up over this, like, hill, this ridge, and when it came rolling down the hill, that's where it created its momentum and its wind. And that's where it kind of just took out everything in its path. And, um, you know, you start to learn these things after things like this happen and, and fires do create their own wind. And that's where that mm-hmm. happened. But by the time it got down to the tracks, the wind had died down quite a bit from what I'm told. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I wasn't here at that point. Um, and those train tracks did kind of act as a, as a break. And the train is the smart train. So it's the Sonoma Marin transit, the new, you know, millions of dollars spent to connect basically anywhere from Guerneville to, um, it's supposed to go all the way to Larkspur. And then you're supposed to be able to take the ferry to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, it's expensive. It's really nice. Um, and I, like I said, I used to curse it a lot because when I bought my house, it was not running. And then it, when it started running, it was blaring the horn every 45 minutes. And then we lobbied to get it to be a, um, a quiet zone for the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And the city listened, which was amazing. And so they stopped blaring their horn right here. Um, but I'll never complain about that train again, because I really do think that it, it assisted in saving our neighborhood. And just like the neighbors who came home to fight the fires, um, there was an off-duty cop who was just as a good Samaritan running door to door to evacuate people. And mm. He came back and he told my neighbors at the corner, he said, you know, because their whole fence burned in one part and all their bushes. And he said, I put that fire out with your hose. He said, I was going and, you know, my the person that he was with said, you got to just let it go. We can't save that. Just let that go. Let's get to a point where we can create kind of a fire line. Mm-hmm. And he said, and I left and I just in good conscious couldn't do it so I came back and I put that out and he also helped save our street because if their house had gone then the next house would have gone and the next house Mm -hmm. the next house because there were no firefighters here there just weren't you know Mm -hmm. at that point it was just Santa Rosa and there were you quoted how many fires you know and and they just they weren't here and they weren't able Mm -hmm. to help us at the time and um so I mean it was just the efforts of different things and different people mm-hmm. that saved our street and also the smart train. Yeah, it's incredible too. Like, um, I think people, it's kind of hard to understand like the gravity of, there were five different major fires that were burning at the same time in like a very limited location. And so there's no way that, you know, firefighters could just magically appear. And right. what happened too is that, I mean, there were, 
firefighters being sent from Australia and Canada. And, you know, I mean, I, I just, that's insane. And, you know, the West just, we just share firefighters, you know, we send people up to Oregon, Oregon brings them down to California, you know, or Montana, Colorado, we just kind of move them all around. But, you know, the stories like what you're saying, you know, of like people who stayed behind and it's, it's incredible that they were okay. You I know, know that. I mean, that it, it was blowing my mind when you were talking about, you know, your neighbor and his girlfriend and they, you know, with the fire hoses and, you know, just fighting the fire, like the acts of heroism are incredible. Um, oh, yeah. It's and I think, too, um, I don't I don't know about you, but it was I was almost in tears every day just reading, you know, stories of, you know, people, if it was donating or whatever it was, or just hearing people's tales of, you know, how they help their neighbors or whatever it was, it was just every single day, I was just so proud of every single person who was involved, you know, even, you know, uh, in Vacaville, you know, they had, you know, for the farms and stuff, there were people who were donating hay and collecting goods and, you know, whatever to, you know, take them out to um, shelters and stuff in like Napa and Sonoma and the entire Bay Area, like just banded together. And it was so like, I don't, I mean, just never having experienced that before, you know, as far as like this incredible natural disaster and then seeing Um, you know, people offering free legal services because, you know, people weren't aware of what their insurance really entailed or offering like free family sessions, uh, you know, because. Oh, for portrait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Just all kinds of things. And, um, and you talked a little bit about um, how you would, you know, have a master's in counseling and, you know, you are a counselor and um, you had talked a little bit about um, before, I th- we've maybe talked about this, um, you know, but like with your, the students and teachers at your college, like, what was that like? Because, you know, it's one thing to be in a neighborhood, you know, and even like in some kind of small work environment, but I feel like when you work at a school, that, yeah. you know, that, that's just, that is a huge population of people that you're exposed to. And especially with what your job is, I mean, I'm sure that there was a huge influx of like responsibility or outreach that yeah. you felt like you had to do. So what was that kind of, what was that like? Well, first the college closed for two weeks and I have mm-hmm. to say like, that doesn't happen. Right. But the state came Mm -hmm. in and said, we're going to, we'll still pay you for, you know, being closed and whatnot. And, um, I think like 500 faculty members alone or faculty and classified staff at the college were affected somewhere around that number in that they lost their home completely. You know, there was, there was, I mean, everybody was affected. There was not one person that was not affected by the fire, whether you lost your Mm -hmm. home or you didn't. Um, and then the number of students, I mean, it just kept going up and up and up that lost their homes. And so I have to say that my college, Santa Rosa Junior College, was so amazing during this time. They set up, um, you know, fire relief funds and they set up 
scholarships. And if, you know, a student lost their computer in the fire, then they're going to help them replace it. And Mm. they not only did they pay, you know, I'm, I'm salaried. So I get my salary, basically whatever happens, but they paid student workers who were hourly employees who were supposed to be working during that time. They even paid them for being off. They paid them what they had nor like would have worked. And, you know, the other college that I work at part-time, I don't know if I should name names, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) They wanted their faculty to file unemployment for being closed for two days. And so they sure as heck did not pay. Yeah. And they didn't pay student workers for being off. And yet the school still got paid from the state. They still made their money. And they wanted- Yeah. And so Santa Rosa Junior College was just amazing. They they made sure everyone was taken care of. They set up, you know, um, when their power came back on, they had food drives and, you know, you could come here to get clothes. You can come here to get food. You can come here to get warm, you know, whatever you need, we're going to be here for you. And then what's also amazing is if the students, you know, if they even tried to stay in their classes, but they just, they couldn't either, either if Mm -hmm. if it was a math class and losing those two weeks just was just too much for them, you know, they couldn't catch back up or whatever. Then Santa Rosa was saying, okay, you can not only drop the class, but we're going to refund you your money. And it's going to be like, it never happened on your transcript. Whereas it was way beyond the time to drop, you know, with, a refund Mm -hmm. and and drop with a W and things like that. And they went to the teachers and said, you cannot expect your students to make up any work from that two weeks. So either Mm -hmm. you have to eliminate that work or you have to adjust your timeline in such a way that these students are not impacted any more. So now that they feel that they're behind and, -hmm. you know, there were some teachers like one that I had to reach out to personally who is an online teacher and they don't live up here. It was before the Southern California fires happened and they Mm. live in Southern California. And they said, you know, well, you have this time off. It was an online class. You should have used that time to just keep getting caught up. And I'm just going to take those two weeks and add them on to the next two weeks. And it was like, don't, don't you read your emails from the president, from the vice president saying you cannot do that to these students. You can't make their lives any more difficult. And so I was mm-hmm. just really proud of our school for standing by the, what they were saying and, and just making it mm-hmm. so that they were going to be a place of support and, um, you know, just help get students and faculty back on their feet. My vice president said to me, you need a day off, you take a day off. Whatever you need to get this handled, even if it's like my painter's coming tomorrow. If I needed tomorrow off, I take tomorrow mm-hmm. off. No penalty, no issue. We get through it together. We're a community. And, you know, they just, there has not been one roadblock, not one more day where it just felt like I can't get through this because my job has been so supportive of everybody. It's just, mm-hmm. it's been amazing. But what's been sad is the people who couldn't, you know, they couldn't afford to stay in Sonoma County while they're waiting for Mm -hmm. either their house to be rebuilt or, you know, maybe they were renting or whatever. And the, the people who are starting to price gouge with the rental cost, it was high anyway to rent in Sonoma Mm -hmm. County. Um, but you know, and so even going to my son's basketball games, he plays for the basketball, um, the city league, I'm like, Bob, does it seem like there are a lot less families playing this year? And and there are because there are a lot less people that can afford to live here right now Mm -hmm. while this is going on. And, 
you know, so we did lose a lot of students who just, despite the efforts to be as supportive as possible, physically could not commute here and Mm -hmm. had to leave the area. And it's same with, you know, elementary schools, a lot of kids, you know, while they're two of the elementary schools in my area were completely shut down and they had to um, put half the school at one other site and half the school at another other, another site in the district. And, you know, families who that's great, like they made room for the students, but families who lit had to move to like Marin or just completely out of the area couldn't wait. Mm -hmm. They had to enroll their kids in other schools. And so those poor kids, they lost their homes. Now they're losing their school, their teachers, their, you know, their friends. I can't Mm -hmm. even imagine. And so it's just, it has been interesting to see it from a a perspective of working at a school and just see how these people are, it's affecting every single aspect of our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tough. Yeah. I, I think some people don't think about what rebuilding is, you know, because you lose so many homes and if you have, you know, cleanup crews or whatever come in, you know, if they come in from out of state, where do they stay? You know, if, you know, so that's, that's on a whole other level. And what is kind of the, the progress, um, that you've seen in your neighborhood and like, what does, I mean, what is that like? Because every single day, you know, I'm sure you think about this. It's not like it's really ever going to go away, but having to see it in your face every single day, you know, and and the rebuilding is a physical thing that you can can see. And like, what has what has that been like? So first, the the mental aspect of rebuilding was hard because like you said, it's in our face every day. Like we got to keep our mm-hmm. houses, but now we don't get to move on mentally at all. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't move out of the area while our, while we're dealing with it, you know, we're faced with it every single day. And that was hard when the cleanup first started. Um, but now it's kind of like a new sense of hope because they, the crews from out of the areas and, and locally have just, and it's, um, it's the Army Corps of Engineers. Either you opted in to the Army Corps of Engineers being able to clean up your lot or you opted out. And if you opted out, there were there were reasons why people would opt out. They either wanted to keep their foundation or they just kind of wanted to be more in control of the process. Um, they Their lots are going to be pretty much last to be cleaned. Um, hmm. But if you opted in to the Army Corps of Engineers based on the date of your application, that's when your lot got cleared. So you would think that, you know, it would make the most sense to start at the front, move to the back or back to move to the front and kind of just do a big sweep of the whole, you know, neighborhood, but it's been spotty. It's been based on when their permit was turned in. Mm. And um, so it's like this lot's being cleared and now, you know, another block is being cleared and, and so on. But um, it's, it has been so fast. I did not expect it to move that fast. Because when, when I think of construction, I think of either new homes or I think of like freeway construction where it just takes mm-hmm. years to build like an overpass, right? <laughs> so I'm thinking like, this is going to take forever. But I think I mentioned it in the beginning is they want to be done with Coffee Park clearing of the lots with the Army Corps of Engineers by the 20th of this month. And I think they can do it. Because they are out mm-hmm. there, you know, from sun up to even after sundown, and they're working their butts off, and 
they're clearing the lots and each lot has a placard on it where it's the checklist and it says kind of what stage they're at and what Mm -hmm. needs to still be done. Like the soil needs to be tested and if there's no asbestos and, you know, stuff like that. And so it's just been neat to see them just handle it so fast. And, you know, for friends of mine, like my friend who I said sent me the message in the morning that said, are you leaving? Um, mm-hmm. they, they lost their home. They had a one week old baby and they lost everything that that, oh my that word, you know, and they have a two year old little girl and to, you know, for people who lost their homes, it's kind of bittersweet to see it be completely done and be completely clear. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's cool for us because we think, okay, we're going to get neighbors back soon. You know, mm-hmm. Halloween, Amanda, was so sad because our neighborhood is, uh, you know, it's a middle-class neighborhood. It's full of families. You know, mm-hmm. Halloween, they go, it's just hustle bustle of all the kids. And, you know, you can't buy enough candy to be able to give out the candy. And <laughs> Halloween was so sad and quiet because everybody's gone. And so we kind of mm-hmm. knew that was going to happen. So we basically set up kind of an outdoor um, party on our street for the kids to, so that they wouldn't be thinking about it. And yeah, um, but it's the rebuilding process has changed from, Oh my God, it's so sad to now this, like I said, a new sense of hope with where we might actually get people back in by the summer. And that's the timeline that they've always talked about, but we thought there's no way there's just no way, Mm -hmm. but ground broke on the first house that's being rebuilt already and oh yeah and it's so it's so cool to start seeing that happening um when all we've been looking at is you know burned cars and burned houses and you see chimneys still standing and and oh there's their washer and dryer you can still see that and Mm -hmm. you know it's so it has gone from sad to hopeful I think um but it's interesting also to see how the community, like each street has come together and they've found that if they go with one architect, one builder, that they get a discount. So they're oh. where we knew our neighbors really, really well. I think these other areas, a lot of them didn't necessarily know their neighbors, um, mm-hmm. but they're all kind of becoming their own community. And when they move back in, they're going to move back in as a community. You know what I mean? They're going to be stronger. Mm-hmm. They're going to know each other. It's just going to be even better. Um, so it's very hopeful now. I think, like I said, 2018 has now become this, like 2017 was a drag. It was awful. It was sad. It was devastation. Mm-hmm. It was death. It was, you know, everything. And now 2018 has become this year of hope and rebuilding in a positive way. Um, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited now to see what, what happens. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was such a a freak thing, you know, that <laughs> happened. And so then I think that there's, you know, this this element where you're like, oh, oh crap. Like what do you, what do you do? How do you even start? You know, where do you begin with all of this stuff? And uh one of the things that was so awesome though, even though I feel like a lot of other people didn't really pay attention to what was happening. Maybe it's just because they don't understand, you know, the gravity of it. But, um, you know, there was, there were concerts like band together Bay area 
um, you know, where it was Metallica and Dave Matthews and G-Eazy and, and he was Bond here. showed up. And, and Dave Matthews came to Coffee Park. He was right here. In I saw that. He wanted to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, these people who, I mean, I think that concert alone raised over 15 million and the uh, group, it's uh, Tipping Point. Um, and I'll give info for that at the end. But um, I think they've raised over 30 million. And wow. then um, Redwood Credit Union, which a lot of, I think, uh, oh, Clay yeah. Thompson, Clay Thompson had um, his own thing. I think it was like a thousand bucks um, for each for point every three made. pointer or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, which, you know, it was for however many Warriors games. And that was where he was donating his stuff to. And they've raised over 30 million. And I know that's not anywhere close to what it is, but. Uh, there are so many places where people can donate or so many. I mean, it's crazy. Like you go to the GoFundMe page um, for, you know, even just it's California wildfire relief or, you know, North Bay fires or whatever it is. But yeah. there are so many places to give and so many places where people have given, which yeah. is always really encouraging. Oh, yeah. No, totally. Like, wasn't it Johnny Gomes from the A's? He came to yes. And he had like his own tractor and he was clearing stuff. Like, I mean, just to see the outpouring of support and love and just how this, how Santa Rosa came together, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's just like, what can I do for you? You know, what can I do to yeah. help? What can I, how can I help? What can I do? And like my friend Dustin, um, his family owns Petrillo's Tire in Vacaville. Um, mm -hmm. He immediately set up his business as a donation center and, you know, um, adopted a family from Santa Rosa for Christmas. Mm -hmm. And it happened to be my daycare family because Avery's daycare burned down. Oh. And so it happened to be their family. And, you know, it's just like the, the outpouring of support has been amazing, but, you know, I have to say, like, I really wanted to go to that concert in the city, but then yeah. part of me goes, okay, but with like the active shooter stuff going on, like then La the Las Vegas thing that had happened right before our fires kind of got lost. Right. Right. Oh, and totally. With it. And it's like, I couldn't, I didn't want to be in an open place like that. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. Mm -hmm. It's so sad, but you know, and like even for a while after the fires, I didn't want to leave and I didn't want to mm. leave my neighborhood and I didn't want to, I said, you know, the control, the control pieces, you want to control what you can because you lost so much control. I bought mm -hmm. a fire ladder because I have a two-story house. And I thought, well, what if I would have been stuck upstairs? How would I get out? I bought, you know, extra cat carriers that are collapsible to keep upstairs in my house. And I have like a portion of my closet now where it's like, if I have to evacuate, I'm taking this, you know, mm. and it's, you start to go into this mode of, well, what, what if it happens again? And people are like, oh, it's not going to happen again. Well, it, like you said, it was such a freak thing. No one expected mm -hmm. it to happen in the first place. Right. And, you know, it's all these stages of, it's like grief. It's like you go through mm -hmm. these stages of, you know, PTSD and all this stuff. And I started having this period of time where I was at work and I thought, what if something like this had happened during the day and I was at work? And my kids are spread out. Who do I go to first? How mm -hmm. do I get to them if the if the streets are 
congested and and where the fire had been, you know, it would have been between me and Brady and Avery's daycare burned down. So how would I have gotten to her and to got to him and then back to my house to save my animals? Like, what if this had happened during the day? And I started to go through like, um, like I get anxiety attacks thinking about it, stuff that never happened to me before. And, mm-hmm. you know, then I got a notice while I was at work that the power shut down at Brady's school because there was a downed power line. And, you know, that's what they're saying is could have been a cause of our tub right. fires, a downed power line. And so I started to panic going, I just started thinking about what if this happens during the day? And now his school is the power's out because of a downed power line. I just want to go get my son. You know, and it's like, will we ever feel safe from that sort of thing again, happening again? I don't know, because if you look, I don't know if you've seen this in your research, but I think it was in 1964 in Santa Rosa, somewhere around there, this exact same fire, like the the outline of the fire happened then too, came over the same hill, took the same path, but back then there were less homes, you know, and Uh so there was less. Um, stuff that it it burned but if you look at the outlines they're exactly the same and so it's like okay so technically it's happened twice now in the last however many years like that doesn't make me feel any better and no but hopefully hopefully and that's and I had not heard that um but in some weird ways it also makes sense that the fire path would be the same um because of elements or you know like how you were talking about you know how the the fire, you know, created its own wind and was moving by itself. Yeah. And, um, but hopefully that we will have learned from this, you know, I like, so. I, I mean, I think that's, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think that that's yeah. just what, you know, um, I think I would watch a lot of, um, like the Napa, like city council meetings or Sonoma, they had, you know, on Facebook live and stuff. And, uh, it seemed like all of the city officials were just, um, very aware of everything that was happening as things were progressing. And I, my greatest hope is because, you know, we are from an area where people, you know, were very eco-conscious and, you know, thinking about all of those things and, um, yeah. conservation is a huge, uh, huge focus. I really hope that, you know, it's a thing that, it can just get better. And, you know, as things yeah. are rebuilding that, you know, we'll build better and smarter. And, um, because yeah, I mean, and also things like you're saying, things that you never would have thought of now you're thinking of. And so I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, you know, now to be overly prepared, but I know. that's just, that's just how you're going to, you know, be for so long because you never know. Um, did, did you have any, was it a, a trigger when um, the SoCal fires were happening oh, yeah. at the beginning of December? Yeah. Totally. And, you know, I when before that, Anaheim was burning. So it was like mm-hmm. Anaheim was burning at the same time our fire was going on. And then after that, it was like the same type of fire started happening in Southern California where it was just taking out, you know, tons of neighborhoods and things that don't Mm -hmm. burn like yeah open spaces Mm -hmm. open fields dry hills whatever those burn but it's you know neighborhoods 
don't burn the way that ours did. And to see it then happen in SoCal, I was like, what is happening in California? You know, and then people start talking, oh, it's terrorists or whatever. And it's like, you start to think, well, maybe it is. I don't know because <laughs> California, what is happening? And I told mm-hmm. Bob, I said, you know, when we, when we evacuated and when we were forced to be gone for a week, I said, we can't even evacuate to Disneyland right now, which is my most favorite place mm-hmm. on the planet because the hills behind Disneyland are on fire. So what is happening? I said, if, and then, you know, when we were evacuated, Green Valley got evacuated. I'm sure you saw that in Fairfield, right? I, so my, yep. My in-laws live right by Rancho Solano. So they live in that area. And I'm like, if it comes over that hill and takes out Fairfield, we're going to the Midwest because I don't know where it's going to stop. Like, when Mm -hmm. is it going to stop? It's just going to take out California. And it's like your sense of security is just gone Mm -hmm. because everything you, you think you know and can control, you can't, like I said, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, it was just crazy with that trigger with it going with Southern California happening again. It's like, mm-hmm. is it going to come back up here again? Like, I thought finally that we could breathe. And now is it going to happen again? You know, the only time, right. Amanda, that I feel like really like calm and safe is when it's raining. Mm. Honestly. And so it's like, when will I, when will that go away? When will I start feeling mm-hmm. safe again? You know, when it's the, dead of summer and it's hot and it's dry and you know Mm -hmm. when will that when will that not make me freak out yeah I mean it's because the thing too is like yes it was a freak thing but you know we're accustomed to fires you know it it does just happen and a lot of them are are man you know created you know it's you know dummies you know, either arsonists or, you know, firework, you know, just some dumb crap that happens. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's such a weird thing too. It was weird for me to be here in Nashville and talking to people and you could just see this like glazed over look on their face. And they were like, Whoa, that's just so bad. And I was, I get so frustrated because I'm like, no, it's not just bad. You know, the people, you know, were so outraged about what happened, you know, with Harvey and Irma and as they should be, as they absolutely should be. But this was something where people, I even had people at work who were like, oh, California will be okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, when you can't get your avocados or you can't, you know, know, whatever it is, um, you know, I think that maybe you'll understand the impact that this is going to have. You know, I already feel (laughs) I'm already thousands of miles away from everyone else. And I, it wasn't that I I wanted to be in the middle of all of that, but I couldn't participate in any way. So yeah. all you know, so all I was doing was like trying to get information to as many people as possible. So, you know, like um, you know, with my dad, you know, being outside and stuff and whatever, and, I, and then I was coordinating like for him to pick up um Mask ma- and masks and um because my sister, Whitney, her husband, he's paramedic, you know, and so he had gotten some masks from Cal Fire and I was just trying to get things to everyone just because it's such a weird thing to, the Survivor's Guild is just so weird being far away and not, yeah. you know, cause you're just so restless, but. And you yeah, feel no, helpless. But, 
so helpless. Um, and the only thing I knew how to do, um, and it was because you had posted, but about the Nixle alerts, and you mentioned that at the beginning, but you know, and anyone can text 888 um, you text that your zip code, and then you get alerts, which I still get alerts, Amanda, all the time, like for clothes, like roads that are closed or whatever. Um, yeah. But I was like, okay, I have this one piece of information that I feel like could save someone's life. So I'm I'm going to share that. I'm going to try and do what I can. But it's, I, yeah. yeah. In well, the middle of the night. Knew mm-hmm. what to do. You know, that's how most of us knew to leave. And, you know, that's a big controversy here right now is the city did not do any sort of formal evacuation um, or like a, a phone call or like a mass phone call, mm-hmm. you know, and they and they have the capability to do that. And mm-hmm. they're saying, you know, well, it would have created mass panic and the and the organicness of people just kind of like telling each other and leaving on their own was much better because it staggered everything. It's like, that's, you know, some people are saying that's complete BS because LA Mm -hmm. is so much more densely populated and they, they have a way of alerting, you know, neighborhoods and things and they do and it, and people still get out. And I think Mm -hmm. people are also grasping for anything that's like, well, you should have done this. And, and maybe these, things wouldn't have happened. And, and who's to say that it wouldn't have ended up being the same way it did, you know, but right. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up in Iowa, we have tornado sirens, you know, it gives people warning to, to kind of do something about their situation, not be blindsided. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, if I just, they should have handled it probably differently. And I'm hoping that, like you said, people learn from this sort of thing and maybe in the future mm-hmm. we get notified you know, but mm-hmm. had I not had Nick soul, I would not have left when I did. I would not have known that it jumped the freeway. I would not have known that it was at Coffee and Hopper. I would not have known how fast it was getting to my neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it really saved me, like I said, that time from not getting caught. People had to walk out of the neighborhood. People had to leave their cars and, and run out barefoot. You know, I don't know if you saw the story of the woman who put her huge pit bull on her back and bicycled out of this neighborhood because there was, she couldn't get out, you know, and oh that was, gosh. there was a lot of people that mm-hmm. had to leave things, their cars behind. And so, you know, I was fortunate that we got out and it was because of Nixle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And you know what? The tornado warnings is something I have thought about so much because, you know, now having lived in Alabama and Tennessee, tornadoes are a thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd still rather have an earthquake any day. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I, I know what to do with that, but I thought about that because I live really close to some sirens in the middle of, um, Nashville. And so I, I thought about that. I was like, how in the world would you know, you know, or you have people who are elderly and don't have cell phones or, you know, right. there's just all, all kinds of all kinds of things. And, you know, I did see that, you know, the city had said they didn't want to, you know, scare people, you know, but the sad thing too, is that even when there were evacuation notices, there were a lot of people who were staying behind and waiting until somebody knocked on their door, which I don't think is smart because you're not only putting yourself in danger, but you're also delaying emergency crews from helping people who might not be able to physically get out. But 
but yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you were able to get out and that you're okay. And that okay doesn't have to be like, you know, it's a, it's going to be different every single day, but you know, that, that everyone is all right, that you were able to get out. I think, um, it's really important for people to hear what you've been through. Um, and I think you had shared too about that article and it was talking about how, um, the Oakland fires in like 91, um, but the survivor's guilt that a lot of people had who didn't, you know, lose their homes and because they don't have a chance to speak out and, um, cause you feel bad, you know, for saying yeah, totally. anything. Um, so I really just wanted to, you know, let people hear your story and stuff. And, um, but for you also to have a, a chance to talk about this, cause I feel like it's, it is really important and I don't want people to forget and, you know, it's going to be a long time of rebuilding, but I, I love that you feel like there's hope, especially within like your own neighborhood. And, um, yeah, I thank you so much for chatting and taking the time. Uh Oh, the audio cut out for a second. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, can we no, do I it? Um, no, and, and I just appreciate you continuing to shed light on it because, you know, like, it sucks in our country that we've kind of had one natural disaster after another, and then it kind of shuts down the last one, sheds light on the next one, and, you know, move mm-hmm. on. But, you know, having been through something like this, I can empathize so much more with the people who have been through the hurricanes and and different things and the rebuilding process there. and. And just to remember that it it's it's a process. It doesn't just stop because the fires are out and now it's just a whole new, you know, normal. And it, it makes me think about, you know, like Hurricane Katrina, you know, way back when mm-hmm. that happened. It was kind of out of sight, out of mind for a lot of us. And I'm sure they're still they're still dealing with it. They're still rebuilding mm-hmm. and you know, it's just it's nice to know that it hasn't been forgotten and um, cause we're not going to forget just like the people who are in the Oakland fires and just like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even, cause you're so young. I don't know that you were even born for the 89 <laughs> earthquake, but you know, I felt it. Us, I remember it, it vividly, <laughs> um, but you know, you, everyone has a story and everyone remembers mm-hmm. where they were when something that significant happened. And it's something that will just kind of live on forever. You know, it's not mm-hmm. something that we will ever forget. We will. And it's like it it makes 9-11 that, you know, never forget. We will never forget. It just it takes on a whole new meaning for me. Like, of course, I remember where I was when 9-11 happened, but I wasn't in New mm-hmm. York, you know, and I mm-hmm. wasn't there living it. Um, and so, you know, I, I can understand the significance of remembering it and, and keeping it, you know, just a that awareness still because mm-hmm. people are still going through it and we'll be going through it for a very long time. So and I just appreciate have... you doing this. I really do. Well, thank you. I mean, you know, it's, um, it's home, you know, there's just so many things about it. Like, I don't know, you drive through the hills of wine country and whatever, and you just think like, I'm so lucky 
You know, like that's always a, a thought. Mm-hmm. Like even when I worked in Napa, I was like, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky that I get to see all of this. And, you know, so this is something that I won't really let up on. It's probably yeah. something that I'll definitely revisit. Um, and anytime you want to come on, you are more than welcome. So, yeah. Oh, and you. of course, and um, for anyone who is listening, uh, like, Amanda and I said, there are so many places where you can donate, get involved, go fund me. You just look for California Wildfire Relief and they have all kinds of campaigns that are happening. Um, there's also tippingpoint.org backslash relief, which um, was started from uh, Band Together Bay Area, the concert that we were talking about earlier. It was a combined effort. And so, um, and if you want to give to all wildfire recovery in California, including like SoCal, um, you can go to wildfirerecovery.org and there are resources for rebuilding or, you know, being displaced and all kinds of things that you um, would also need uh, for emergency situations and to be prepared. So Amanda, I just, I'm going to say it again, cause I really appreciate it, but thank you so much. Um, I loved having you on and hearing your story. It was uh, just, it was a treat um, to get to have this time with you. So. Thank you um, for me too. Thank you. Yeah. um, Love you so much. And thank you um, for listening. Um, for tuning in. Um, I hope that you will find me on Instagram and Facebook at Babe Cave Studios and let me know uh, what you thought of this, how, you know, maybe you're rebuilding in some part of your life and what that looks like. And I can't wait to be with you next week.